Hey, what's up, Geekscapists? I know, I know, I know. It's been a week since you guys got your last Geekscape episode. And actually, it's been two weeks since I recorded one. Um, I actually recorded the American Reunion episode before we recorded the Chris Hardwick episode. So I haven't, I haven't recorded the Geekscape in two weeks, which for me, I start to get those withdrawals. I start looking a little bit ashen and pale. Um, the reason we've been doing Geekscape for six years, and all honesty, guys, is I just love talking to people. I love talking to you guys. I love uh, talking to creators. I love talking to creative people. And I love sharing that stuff with you. So I feel so good coming back, especially since um, I have a guest here who I've been wanting to talk to since I was 10 years old, and it's not Kelly LeBrock. <laughs> it's not Kelly LeBrock, but I don't think you guys will be disappointed. Um, we've got Kevin Eastman, uh, creator, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What do you say? Co-creator? Co-creator, yeah. Okay, co-creator. we got uh, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kevin Eastman. He's also the publisher and owner of Heavy Metal Magazine, which I think was a lot of our uh, early, you know, like like forays into looking at boobs. <laughs> you know, like that and Frank Frazetta artwork. We were like, oh, look, women. Uh, we're going to be talking to him, so um, throw, throw some comments at us. We've got some great comments for the Chris Hardwick episode. I know that uh, over the history of Geekscape, we've had uh, a group of people very skeptical of Nerdist and who were like, hey, that whole Nerdist thing is pandering to us. It's not legitimate. It's not sincere. It felt really great when a lot of you guys heard that episode and your responses online were, you've thought about Chris in a whole new way. You've thought about Nerdist in a whole new way. Uh, the episode really humanized him, made him relatable. That's great. Um, I love being able to do that and really have a candid conversation with somebody. That felt really good to do. And I really appreciate you guys being open-minded and listening to that. So let's keep it going. If you guys want to email me, it's jonathangeekscape.net. Twitter is at Jonathan London. Of course, you guys can look us up on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Just search for Geekscape. And then we've got the flagship, geekscape.net. There's been so much content being put up on that website that... I can't crack the whip on the writers fast enough. I think the writers actually hate me. I think that sometimes they don't post news articles because I'm such an asshole. And I just, I just want good content on the site, and I want it up all the time. So if you guys have ideas for stuff to put up on the site, feel free to contact us. Feel free to say, hey, have you guys covered this? What do you think of this? What do you think of Game of Thrones Season 2? What do you guys think about what's going on in you know, Mass Effect 3's ending? Or, hey... Avengers versus X-Men, what do you think about it? I know what I think about it. I think they're making Scott Summers look like a big tool. <laughs> they should just rename it Avengers and X-Men versus Scott Summers because even in that first issue, Emma Frost is like, uh, Scott, it's really Hope's decision. And Scott's like, no, 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 shut up. I'm going to make the decision for all mutants. Fuck the, X fuck, fuck the Avengers. We're going to fight. We're going to bring back the Phoenix Force. We're going to use it to repopulate mutant kind. Whatever. Whatever your thoughts are on that first issue, which I thought was fine. It'll get better, I think. It's a crossover, so you kind of go in being like, eh, I'm going to end up buying this whole thing, but I may not end up liking it. Whatever, just relax. You're getting at your Avengers movie in a month. So relax, enjoy this episode. This is Geekscape.
All right, Geekscapers, we're here with Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, publisher of Heavy Metal Magazine, and he's been pretty active uh, recently, um, not even as a creator, mainly as an auctioneer. <laughs> I, went over to, I went over to Meltdown Comics uh, back in January, and Kevin was there uh, for like the majority of the month. Uh, his actual studio was in Meltdown Comics in this gallery section. And it was your full studio. Were you working out of there during that month? Yeah, sort of. It was uh, what the idea was um, when I did the show. Um, I'm good friends with Gaston, who's owned Meltdown for you know ever. I mean, I used to go there when he was just across the street in even a tinier little store. Um, and I was in there one day, and he just acquired this gallery space next door. And he said, "Hey, do you want to do a gallery show? We got the space empty for the month of December." And I was like, "No." <laughs> and then I went and looked at the space, and I started getting ideas. And I said, well, maybe I'll, you know, I've been doing a lot of work on the new comic, uh, new IDW Turtle series. And mm -hmm. I said, well, maybe we'll do a turtle show. And then, well, you know, the, the uh, 2012 was Heavy Metal's 35th anniversary. Well, maybe we'll do a Heavy Metal show. Maybe we'll do Turtles and Tits, and it'll be a, you know, group show. And then I said, well, I've got these other projects uh, that I'm doing be, that have never been seen, you know, all the development for that. Maybe I'll just do a, a whole month of Kevin Eastman and you know what I'm going to bring my art studio mm -hmm. here yeah. um, and then you auctioned it off too and I, and I auctioned it off and part of the auction came through a, a couple of different um, levels and a couple of different concepts and one is that you know we're moving to Florida this year and my wife and I had decided about a year ago that we were going to be moving and I've got an incredible amount of junk in my studio um, awesome stuff not junk awesome mm -hmm. stuff I'm uh, probably a bigger geek than, than anybody that's listening uh, to me here um, and uh, I've done a lot of work with the Hero Initiative. Um, I love that uh, auction. I mean that that, um, that charity. charity. Yeah. Um, they you know mainly um, help uh, artists that didn't create, uh, didn't um, own the characters that they created, and maybe a little bit down on their luck. Um, so I just I like the whole concept of um, Hero Initiative. So I've done a lot of stuff with Jim McLaughlin and those guys over the years. And I said you know what we're going to auction off my studio. It's going to be the centerpiece that literally grounds the show because I'm going to be able to show people that come in where all these crazy ideas come from. Mm -hmm. And then right through the middle of the holidays, I'm going to open up a new gallery show every Wednesday, which was, you know, my wife reminded me probably on a daily basis what an incredibly stupid idea that was because uh, it was a tremendous amount of work. That, great. That's their roles in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean, like as geeks, that's their roles. Like, uh, like my wife just went to Austin for a couple of days, and I, I'm, I'm pretty much fucked. Like nights that she's not here, mm. uh, she'll come home and be like, hey, did you eat? And I'll be like, uh, kinda, and then she'll open the trash and be like, "Why is there a Mike and Ike's box in here? Like, like did you just eat Mike and Ike's for dinner, you moron?" I'm just like, "Oh, my stomach hurts." Like, they, they have to keep us. There are smart parts, which is what I call my wife. Like, they keep us from from just kind of over, 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 uh, kind of eating with our eyes as far as geeks go. Well, you know, it, it's I'm really lucky is that you know uh, Pam's really supportive and all the stuff that I do. And we have two kids, you know, an 11 year old and a six year old plus me. That makes three kids. Um, we also have 12 dogs, um, and uh, luckily we both work at home. So we, you know, she, I think, runs the, the house like a military camp, mm -hmm. which, is, which is great because, you know, the, the kids get the homework done. The, 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 she's, a, you know, um, ADHD sort of tweaker like me that everything has to be neat in its own spot. So she's, the house is always spotless. And, but and, I saw your office. Uh, what's that? I saw your office. I you know, saw but, your studio. You know, but you know, if you looked at that studio and you saw the stuff, I could have, um, and I've been this way since I was very young. It's like, if you asked me for something in that studio, I could literally, no matter where it was, I could get up, walk over to it and pick it up. And literally, there were thousands of things in there. Thousands. There were Blu-rays, DVDs, art books, magazines, comics, yep. video games. It was insane. Put it this way. I still have my comic books that I had when I was, you know, 
when I had a paper route growing up in Maine, I used to go down to the, you know, save all my money and at the end of each month uh, go to the local comic store, which then it was like a stop and go. It was like a little convenience store that was like, you know, five miles one way on a bicycle and then five miles back. Worth it. Um, worth every penny. <laughs> worth and I would it. go, you know, when comics were 20 cents, I'd go buy my Jack Kirby commandies and all this, you know, a stack of five comic books for a buck, which was, you know, awesome. I'd read half of them, you know, in the front of the store and then, you know, go home and read the rest. But I still have those comics from then. I've saved everything, every mm -hmm. doodle, every drawing. But not everything. a pack rat because you, you have it organized. You have, you have it incredibly it, organized. Like, yeah. it, you know, ludicrously organized <laughs> and that's what made you want to get into comics was it were those like jack kirby like that that was your first dream in the one that you pursued was getting into comics yes 100 percent. it was um uh from a very young age uh, from some of the earliest comic books i saw and i i always I have the strongest memory of um like jack kirby's commanding mainly because that was the one that had the most impact on me mm -hmm. i loved I'd seen Planet of the Apes, and then shortly thereafter, Commandy came out, The Last Boy on Earth, which is kind of a takeoff from a Planet of the Apes concept, um, where you know um, uh, tigers and apes and, and lions and you know animals basically replace the role of mankind. And I just liked the the, the dynamism, the, the dynamic storytelling, the kinds of storytelling, the pacing, the explosive panel arrangement, the two-page spreads, and um, it was stuff like that that made me say, you know, when I get older, this is what I want to do for a living, um, mm -hmm. and pretty much never wavered from that. It was always, you know, um, in, the, in the front and foremost of my uh, dreams from doing, you know, um, reports for English class and sixth you and You would write about Commandy? No, I would do comics. Wow. I would, like, my, my like seventh grade, <laughs> my, my seventh grade English teacher was, like, a letter I convinced her to let me turn in a report. Mm -hmm. My, you know, final year in report was a comic story, like, it's a ten-page comic story, and that's all I wanted to do. I drew them all the time, when I, especially when I was supposed to be Paying attention. Did your class. parents ever try and steer you away from that stuff? Pretty constantly. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? My, my dad could draw. My grandmother was a painter. My mom can draw. She actually, she, my mom, when I retired her after I had some success with the turtles, she started um, taking those Bob Ross, uh, Bob Rossi yeah, yeah, uh, TV yeah, paintings. Yeah. She paints puppy clouds and yeah. happy trees and that. Yeah. <laughs> She's an amazing painter. <laughs> she does all those things, and it's like she paints better than I do. I think, and and, and certainly that in that respect. But uh, so it was an inherited talent. Um, but they, I think my father was always afraid that um, I'd fall into comics and I'd be living at home for the rest of my life because he didn't think I could ever earn a living doing it. And right. And, I mean, you didn't think. That, I, didn't. I mean, you were just like, this is my love and this is what I'm going to do. Because mm -hmm. I was reading that you, to, to finance the Turtles, when you and Peter Laird were starting to, starting it out, you took a loan from your uncle. That's right. And were you like, oh, my God. Like, it was like a $1,000 loan or something like that. And you were like... I'm dead. If I can't, if this doesn't work, I'm dead. Well, you know what? I had, he's an awesome uncle anyway, my Uncle Quentin. And it was, um, what we did is we, you know, um, uh, I'd been cooking lobsters. I always worked. I never, you know, I always worked very hard. And I drew and took night classes as much as I could. And my uncle used to sell art supplies. He worked for um, Sharpak. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he was always supportive of, of everything I did. And uh, so when Peter and I came up with the turtles and um, had developed a story, we, had started drawing the comic book is that we sat down with him with a business plan and said this is how we're going to print it we went and found a local printer in dover new hampshire this is how we're going to print it this is how we're going to market it we included you know advertising small advertising budget and the comics buyer's guide and this is what we're going to do and we committed to paying it back because i had um a 500 dollars income tax return that i had uh we cleaned out all 250 dollars of pete's bank account and we needed another thousand dollars to print um three thousand copies of the first issue and 
I think he just took a leap of faith and mm -hmm. just thought it was awesome and wanted to see us succeed. We wanted it so badly, so we wrote a check for a thousand bucks. And it took like three years for you guys. And that, that first that first issue comes out, it does well enough for you guys to reprint it a couple times over. Hmm? It, yeah, so that, it's it's funny. I always love to tell the part that when we printed those, it, there was no direct market at that time, was there? Like, yeah, there like, was. Oh, I mean, but there was nothing like the equivalent of Diamond, where you could be like, "All right, we'll just ship it to one place and they'll distribute it." Were you guys shipping directly to, to comic book stores, or how, how does that work? It was. I wish uh, it was more naive than that. Um, it was the direct market had was in existence. Okay. Um, we didn't understand it or know really anything about it. Um, in fact, I mean, um, what had happened was that we. Fully intended to sell these a single copy at a time, a dollar fifty plus fifty cents postage through the mail. So wow. we put we put an ad in the Comics Buyers Guide, like I said, and then we went to a couple local. I went to a local comic book convention, um, and based on this ad uh, that we had in the Comics Buyers Guide, we started getting calls from uh, direct market distributors. And at that time, there was about twenty six, twenty five or twenty six Capital and Heroes World and Diamond and um, Sunrise, and they were all over. And so. Um, because we sold out of the first uh, printing, the first 3,000 was sold out in about two weeks. Well, wow. um, which blew our minds. Yes. Um, and uh, but when they would call and they'd say, "Hey, we uh, we're getting a lot of calls from comic book stores, and we're a distributor, and we distribute to comic stores, and we want to buy some of your books." And we were like, uh, "Okay, we'll call you right back." So we'd hang up and go, "What the fuck do we do?" Yeah. Uh, we didn't know anything about the system, so we called the guys back and said, "Okay, well, we'll sell them to you at 10% off cover price." And they laughed and said, "No, this is how the direct market works." You sell them at 60 off cover, and this is what we pay. And we said, well, we did the math and said, well, it, it's, it's, we'll make as much money as we thought we'd make or would like to make, but we'll sell them all, and we could pay my uncle back. Mm -hmm. And if we do it right, um, maybe we'll have enough left over to print. A second one. A second one. Yeah. Um, uh, that was in May of 1984 was when the first issue came out, and I went back to my job as cooking lobsters for the summer. It's <laughs> the only, by the way, that's the only job in Maine. <laughs> it is, it's one job, that's it. It's like either work at a, the entire a, state a ski lift or you... <laughs> or you're Stephen <laughs> King. Yes, exactly. Um, so you were still working cooking lobsters at the mm -hmm. time. What was Peter doing? Um, Peter, at that time, his wife was teaching school and he was doing a lot of freelance illustration, doing uh, like little um, spots for the gardening section or the editorial section mm -hmm. of a couple local newspapers and was making enough money off and doing um, freelance work for um, uh, old role-playing game magazines or um, fantasy sci-fi magazines, yeah. um, uh, that kind of stuff. That's um, cool. So, I yeah, mean, it was At least great. he's kind of like working in it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like he's got... Did he, did he have any kind of like a geek fan base from some of that work? Not that he was like Frank Rosetta or anything, but... No, I wonder. You know, that's a good question because I was, you know, I mean, how we met was um, uh, when I moved to Cooking Lobsters, by the way, I met this waitress that went to school at the University of Massachusetts. Um, and when, you know, we finished our 94 days of summer, which, in, you know, in Maine you have from Memorial Day to Labor Day to make enough money to survive the winter. Jesus. And uh, seriously, Jesus. sounds like a caveman exists. <laughs> oh, must, have to must save enough. money, um, eat eat food all winter. Um, but uh, so I met this waitress, and and she was going back to school at UMass. So I followed her down and said, "Well, I'll take night classes," which is what I did in the winter. And you were dating this girl? I was dating this girl. Yeah, yeah. So I moved down to Massachusetts. Come on, let's get personal. <laughs> you didn't meet her. You were dating her. Oh yeah. Then you go and stay with her. Um, yeah, she was awesome. Um, and. Uh, and that's how you met him. He was in Boston, or what? No, no. This was um, it was uh, Northampton okay. area. It was Amherst actually. Okay. Um, and uh, I was I had a job bagging groceries at Price Chopper and uh, worked at Papagino's Pizza and uh, 
Um, one day taking the bus back from work, I found this magazine on the floor of the bus, and it was called SCAT, S-C-A-T. <laughs> and it was this little cartoon magazine that was published in Northampton. Um, so I went to, I gathered up all my stuff, and a couple of days later, I went over to Northampton to the editorial offices, offices to try to sell some of my cartoons right. for their magazine. It was like run by a bunch of hippies. Um, and I went in and showed the guys there my work, and they said, well, we don't really do that kind of stuff anymore. They were, I think these ex-hippies were now making more money doing advertising design for a lot of their clients that helped fund this free magazine. But they said, you should meet this guy, Peter Laird. Um, he draws the same kind of goofy shit you do. Um, <laughs> so I literally, I went back. Uh, they gave me his address. I wrote him a letter um, uh, and mailed it to him. He mailed me a letter back, and I just said, hey, can we get together and hang out and talk about comics. I don't know anybody in this area. And he wrote me back and said, sure, come on over. So um, uh, a couple weeks later, I went over and hung out. And I remember so distinctly walking into his apartment, this tiny, 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 tiny little studio apartment, full to the brim of comics and stuff. But I walked in the door and there hanging on the wall was a Jack Kirby original. Um, and I'd never seen an original Jack Kirby. It was a pencil page he did from wow. uh, The Losers, um, a DC comic that he did. And I just about lost my mind. And uh, that that was sort of solidified our relationships i said oh my god kirby and he was like you like kirby and i'm like fuck yeah <laughs> um, and so he was and he was a huge this is kirby. before the internet people oh yeah like, like, like this, this is, is before I mean, cell phones this and is deviant art before deviant art like, you guys <laughs> just literally you guys had a bromance immediately immediately yeah and it was this is yeah no fax machines no cell phones no any. it was like it was we had a bro but we hit it off over jack kirby and it was uh in this first meeting um because uh, I showed him my work and I looked at his work and we were both uh, respect, you know. And I said, hey, why don't we, um, why don't I go home and I'll pencil something. I'll pencil a single page uh, story and you pencil a single page story and then the next time we get together we'll swap them off and we'll ink each other's work. And so, um, and uh, Peter, I think, came up with the idea of, um, uh, said, uh, hey, it'll be um, small creatures discover a robot in an alien setting. And that was the theme. And I went home and penciled two pages, and um, he did one. And then the next time we got together, we swapped them. That was the first uh, first project we did together. And then just best of friends ever since, pretty much. Okay, so tell me about this auction that you guys are doing. Because uh, on the 21st of April, this auction starts, and a lot of the original Ninja Turtle stuff is up there, which mm -hmm. to me, I'm like, wait, why are you parting with this stuff? I mean, the original Ninja Turtle drawing. Mm -hmm. Uh, some of the stuff from like the script of the unproduced fourth movie. Mm -hmm. You've got things like uh, the fifth Ninja Turtle. I was looking at these crazy like you had a fit. <laughs> you had a fit. You had designs like there's designs for like Kirby the fifth Ninja Turtle. Mm -hmm. He's got stripes on him. Yeah. I thought of this character uh, Spider. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and then um, you've got. I mean, basically, it's a lot of your notes, but it's also like a like the original. Uh, copy from the printer for the first comic hmm? and stuff like that. Like, like, why put it up for auction? I mean, multiple if, reasons. If you've kept all the old Kirby stuff that you're fans of, like, <laughs> like, why get rid of all this stuff? This is the beginning of the Ninja Turtles. Well, uh, well, a couple of reasons, you know, and and you know, in part, it's it's sort of um, it's so the Turtles um, uh, gave me a awesome career back in the days. It was right. that was the, when we first started making a living drawing comic books. Um, that to me was the dream came true. Everything that came after that, all the 300 cartoon episodes and all the stuff was just, you know, an amazing, amazing, amazing adventure. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I started Tundra Publishing and I had a museum and, and, and I bought Heavy Metal Magazine and I've been working on movies and I wanted to direct a movie. And 
I kept getting so further and further and further away from you know comic books. And then um, when um, you know over the years I'd sold all my uh, my ownership in the turtles to Peter Laird. Um, the last part of ownership I had I sold to, out to him about seven or eight years ago, maybe more. And um, really hadn't done much with the turtles. I always loved the fact that um, I still had these great and awesome fans um, that found me through the turtles and loved me because of the turtles. Um, and uh, when Peter sold um, the turtles to Viacom, Viacom then started running this, developing this new program of doing mm -hmm. a new animated TV series, a new live action movie, and more importantly, um, my friend Ted Adams, who owns IDW, got the comic book rights. Yeah. And so which, I, which I've been reading. That stuff's good. It's really awesome. It's really awesome. You, you're doing the story for it. Well, and you've, got a, you've got another guy scripting it. And then every now and then you'll do a cover. Like, how does that work? Well, it's, this is this is what's kind of cool, and it leads up to the auction. As I always answer these questions so round, round robin, but it well, is it, sort of like I always feel like you know you get the backstory. Because I thought you still had ownership. Because I'm looking at Kevin Eastman on the cover of the Ninja Turtles comic mm -hmm. that IDW is coming out. I'm like, so he's still got ownership. I hear about you still being involved in the Michael Bay Jonathan Leesman movie, and I'm like, well, he's still got ownership, maybe. No, but you don't have any. They, no, I have none. I have none. And so it's and like, neither does Peter Laird. No, Peter sold his. Um, as I sold to Peter. Um, in 19, let me see, 96, I sold um, Creative Control, and around the time I was working on the first heavy metal movie and was doing a bunch of things there, and then um, years later, um, you know, I was looking to buy a house um, out here in L.A. with, uh, with my wife and, and, so, and some other things, we, and so he bought out the rest, and there really wasn't that much going on with the Turtles in those days. They were kind of in their sleeping period, but that's neither here nor there. It was sort of... Um, even back when we did the first um, Turtle story, it was always like um, I, I, it was always designed to be one story because I had hundreds of other stories and ideas that I wanted to to tell. I wanted to be again Jack Kirby and write and draw all right. kinds of different things, and I never thought it would go beyond the first issue anyway. Um, so here we are, you know, almost thirty years later, um, and uh, um, Ted calls me up and says, "Hey, you want to do a couple covers for the new IDW um, comic series we're doing? Um, the new we're going to relaunch the Turtles." And I said. Um, sure, that sounds fun. I've I've published some turtle stuff, body count, some other things through heavy metal, and uh, and I said, what do you guys got in mind for a story? And he said, well, Tom Waltz and uh, has got this great uh, take on what he wants to do for the reinvention. And so I w I said, well, let me come down and we'll talk about it. And I went down and Tom showed me the sort of the skeleton of this what he wanted to do um, with the franchise, with the re the relaunch of the comic book, and I was I fell in love with it. I fell in love with this idea. I threw in a couple ideas here and there, but he really he was sort of at this point piloting the ship, and I was kind of co-piloting it. But I got excited about the turtles again, and I hadn't been excited about the turtles. Not that I don't love them any right. less or anything, but I hadn't been excited. You told that story like five times by that point. You've told the story yeah. in film. You told the story in cartoon. You've told that story in comics. You've told that story in probably in comics twice, yep. three times, like multiple yeah. times and multiple things. And Tom's take was was fantastic. He 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 actually had had sort of mapped out how he was going to connect and 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 design the story with the spirit and the feeling of the original black and white comics, connect components of the animated series, the live action movies, the live action TV series, and all these other universes of turtles into this new sort of, you know, like DC 52, this reinvention. It sounds like an ultimate version. What I was going to say was That's it. an ultimate version. Ultimate version. And, um, and so I, I fell in love with it, and I said, well, you know, uh, we talked more, we talked more, and I said, well, why don't I do the, I'll do the covers, and I'll do the layouts for the first four issues, and um, uh, so I, I think it's fantastic, and I would love to um, show the fans how much I love this particular vision. 
and um, to our sort of surprise and, and good fortune um, that the fans um, really dug it. And we changed some pretty significant things. I mean, yes, but it feels like the spirit is there. Like you can't, exactly. you can't do the, you just can't do the Daredevil origin anymore. No. You know what I mean? Like, I, like was that? I mean, that was something you got, were, got you and Peter were consciously doing when you first originally like did the turtles. You're like, oh, what if this goop that may turn Matt Murdock into mm-hmm. Daredevil also had other effects? And you, it was almost a parody, you know. Instead of the hand ninjas, you had the foot clan and this and that. It wouldn't work today. You know what I mean? It wouldn't work today. No, and, we, I mean that. You know, you're that's spot on. I mean, that was it wouldn't work in, in that. I mean, we the parody element. Um, I. I point to Dave Sim being sort of directly responsible mm-hmm. for that inspiration and that you remember when he first launched Cerebus um, yeah. in 76, 77? Were Conan fans up in arms about it? They were like, wait, you can't take Conan and turn him into a giant pig. Like, wait, oh, this is Conan. It's like, what Well, that? I think it was like, you know, the, much like with the turtles with Cerebus, they would see this thing like, what's this little aardvark dressed like Conan the Barbarian, drawn like Barry Windsor Smith, running around hacking people up? And they would pick it up and say, well, the art's pretty good. And well, the story's pretty good too. Um, and I said to myself and, and convinced Peter to a certain extent, I said, well, you know, why don't we really make this a parody? Let's put into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles all of our favorite bits of comics, all the Jack Kirby-isms, the Chris Claremont-isms. I was a huge Daredevil fan before Frank Miller came. I still remember when he came aboard in, mm-hmm. you know, 158. I was Bob, Bob Brown, Gene Colan, uh, Roger McKenzie, all those pre... I was a Daredevil fan before, before Miller, but I loved what... Um, what Frank Miller did with it, of course, it was it was fantastic. So I said, let's pick all of our favorite bits and we'll do it into this parody. It's only going to be a one shot that nobody's going to buy anyway. Yeah, and uh, the comic fans will enjoy it because it has these little bits. You know? Yes, so it had these little bits. Um, so uh, um, here I was drawing the turtles again for IDW, and what a, I, I remembered um, most of all was how much I loved comic books. I hadn't really drawn a hundred page comic story even in the layout form that I did in, in, since 1996. And I hadn't drawn Turtles since 1996. I've done lots of storyboards and other things like that. But it's, I hadn't drawn comics, and I realized, one, how much I love drawing comics, and two, how much I love the Turtles. Um, and then, uh, you know, that sort of was the, the opening of the door where suddenly I was doing some consulting and working on the new Turtles animated series. And then um, I'd been consulting and doing some behind-the-scenes work on the, on the new Turtles live-action movie. What about the Umagi one? Did you have a lot of work on the, the mm-hmm. CGI one that they did? Well, what's interesting that is that... kind of felt like it came out of the cartoon series that that was going on at mm-hmm. that time, right? Yes, I mean, mm-hmm. it, was, it was... I was... I started working with uh, Tom Gray and Galen Walker um, at Umagi on a Highlander animated movie. Yeah. Um, and as we were developing the Highlander animated movie, Francis, who owned Amaji, uh, really loved the Turtles and said, hey, can you help me liaison a deal to Mirage Studios and see if I can get the rights to the movie. And so I worked with Fred Fierce, Mirage's co-counsel, and we we came up with a way to um, make that deal work for Francis because it had just come off a big option period with Hallmark. They were going to do it as a as a uh, Dinotopia style six-part miniseries and mm-hmm. developing this live action. Actually, they had brought Steve Barron back, and he was going to direct it and. and Brendan McCarthy, who did the storyboards and designs for the first Turtle movie way back in the day, was was brought back. And they were going to do a TV series mm-hmm. Turtle movie. That would have been cool. Yeah, I thought it was it was a great concept. I think they Hallmark at that time, you know, they had done the the Merlin series, the Tales of the Arabian Nights. They'd done the Dinotopia series. They'd done um, a lot of that kind of stuff. And for whatever reason, um, that that style of of epic miniseries wasn't working as well as uh, I think they wanted it to. And uh, 
and that option period lapsed. And I, just around the time that Amaji came to me, and you know, we're going back, what, um, 2007? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is they came to me and said, hey, can you help liaise on this deal? Um, this hallmark option period had just ended and um, helped sort of um, guide it through Mirage and see that it would work as an MA series. I thought they did a fantastic job. And, and in fact, I was a huge fan of Kevin Monroe, the director, and we'd been friends before. I was, when he used to work at Shiny Entertainment, he did this great concept called Wild Nine. It was a great video game, and he'd done some other stuff. And he never got a chance to do his Battle of the Planets. No. Like, that never happened. That, that it, seemed like the project that was going to work for them. You know what I mean? Because like their Astro Boy never found an audience. The Ninja Turtles movie, the older fans didn't know if it was really for them. The younger yeah. fans didn't know if it was, you know. And then Battle of the, the, like all the designs for Battle of the Planets looked awesome. Fantastic. And they, they're not going to do that. Like, no, I think Amaji, as a company, they, they were struggling a bit. I think that um, um, they kind of imploded. It was sort right. of like um, they, they came in trying to go head-to-head with like DreamWorks animation and... Mm-hmm. You know, um, some play with with the big boys. But were they going? Were they going too old? Were they going for an audience of, of kids who? I mean, you almost have to go Shrek. You almost have to mm-hmm. go for kids who are going to be under ten. Well, that's the thing. You know, I think a lot of the problem was that Francis, the the guy that owned it and started Imagi and stuff, he was going after stuff that he was huge fans of. He mm-hmm. grew up on you know Battle of the Planets and Turtles, and that's the kind of Astro Boy. That's the stuff he wanted to make. But most of the people, you know, would. I guess Turtles was probably the best-known property that he had developed, uh, was was doing and had done. Most of the people didn't know Battle of the Planets unless you're, you know, 50-year-old guys like right. me, you know. Or <laughs> that's, yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Um, you know, when you look at the, the launch of a successful animation studio, they always go intensely young. You yes. know what I mean? Um, and they go broad. I mean, mm-hmm. as much as, like, the first Shrek and stuff like that is kind of annoying because of the really dated social, co- like, jokes and stuff like that, like... <laughs> You can't, you can't disparage the the success that those things have had. And so, um, th- this IDW series allowed you to cut some of the fat that you mm-hmm. like over the last thirty years. You've been like, well, okay, we tried that, it didn't work. We tried this, it didn't work, or it didn't work in that fashion. And mm-hmm. now we can kind of streamline it. I guys, I really suggest that you guys read this if you're looking for a fix. Uh, uh, in, as far as comic books go, for your Ninja Turtles, because it really is the ultimate version of the Ninja Turtles, and the stuff that you change. That, that, they, that they've changed, you're not going to get annoyed by. Um, and, in, and if anything, they've made the fact that this rat and four turtles, uh, you guys have actually done a pretty good job of, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to really spoil it, but it makes sense. Their past relationship with the Shredder character, mm-hmm. the, the past, I mean, what's going on with the Krang character, everything is tied, it's not as random. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not as random as, as what you would get from the pr- previous incarnations of Ninja Turtles. This one feels like everything's inherent to what you're what, what like what's going on. What's what's cool is, and that's all Tom's fault because he really came up with a masterful uh, attack plan. In that he he really picked. He's he came uh, onto it as a fan um, first and foremost, and he had the luxury. And as he said, um, he said, "Look, I've read all of the black and white series. I've watched all 300 animation episodes. I've seen all the live action movies. I've read the image series. I've seen." <laughs> all the different versions of the turtles, um, and I'm just going to go through and pick my favorite bits and reconnect them all in mm-hmm. a way that I think makes sense. Like, you know, just things like taking April out of the TV reporter and put her back into the lab. Like, you know, she was Baxter mm-hmm. Stockman's assistant in Turtles Number 2, so he put her back into the lab, but tweaked it differently, you know, the reincarnation part, um, which is they, yeah. that Dan Duncan, or that Tom and Dan have done, um, you know, the reconnecting of the elements that, 
what I've found, and, and now we've, we're coming up on a year of doing it, I guess August will be issue 12, is, will be out as, um, is that the fans will go look at it and go, hey, you can't, well, that doesn't, well, oh, wow, that's actually kind of cool. You can't argue it, with it because it works. Because it works, exactly. And that's, and that was, it, so, you know, it sort of, it sucked me back in, you know, like Michael Corleone, you know, every time I <laughs> No, and, and Tom uh, and, and IDW pulled me back in in a big way. I mean, I literally, I finished um, the cover for number 10, scanned it and emailed it to Bobby, and I was on deadline today. Um, you I've emailed still got, it right before coming over. I did. I still got pain on my finger. You do. Um, <laughs> and uh, before I come in, I've been having a blast, and, and, and we've just come up. I've, uh, I'm going to be doing um, for IDW my first um, – the first turtle story that I've uh, written and drawn in 15 years. I'm doing a 48-page annual that's coming out this October. Um, oh wow! So we just and I wanted to work. I laid out the story, laid out the concept. You are getting dragged back in. I am getting dragged back in. I'm having a then that's a hundred percent Kevin Eastman issue. Hmm? Yep. That's Tom, a huge thing to talk about. Yes, I'm leaning on Tom because he's such a good scripter. I, I presented him with the the full beat outline of what I wanted to do for the annual, and I said I want you to do the do the final script because I think he can help plug in. This sort of um, this concept, uh, um, so it's going to be the first full-on all Kevin Eastman issue in twenty years. So it's easier for you to let go of this older stuff that well, you guys are doing with this auction. Thanks. You know, it's and getting and, back to the literally, the, guys. Comics. Uh, you you want to go to comics. Ha.com, search for Ninja Turtles, and you guys are going to literally just take a look at some of the stuff that they have up for auction. It's like maquettes of the original uh, Ninja Turtles uh, action figures. Like literally, like, like you've got an early sketch of like a chubby-looking Ninja Turtles. Like maybe may have been like your first idea doodle of a Ninja Turtle. And where is this stuff going to? Like like once you like if we auction, you know, if we, if we auction this, if you were auctioning this stuff off, where's our money going to if we win this stuff? It, all the, well, the money is going to this to, to, to helping me move to Florida. It's going to, my, <laughs> to going to my kids' college fund. It's going to just it, it. It was sort of, you know, my decision to let it go was that you know, when give we back to Kevin Eastman, you sons of bitches. You've taken enough. <laughs> no, the, no, the um, it's it's you know when we were talking about the the studio, um, yeah. it's like if you saw the studio that I I, I auctioned off, and then you went to studio, my studio now, you'd go, what did you take out of here? And, and put in the other studio. I mean, I literally, so like, what I tell you, I've, I've got every single thing that I've had since I was seven. I mean, I've got every single turtle layout, every single turtle doodle, every single bit of turtle art um, in my still. So when I when I came around to, you know, I'm working on the movie, I'm working on this stuff, um, working on the comic, um, uh, I'm wanting to become a comic book artist again while I still run heavy metal. And I said, this is the best time of all, 30 years after the first turtle drawing was drawn in 1983, to release this stuff, mm-hmm. to let it go. I mean, I still, I don't want to sound, I've still got loads of turtle stuff right, and personal right, stuff. Right, right. I mean, I sold the the first issue of the turtles to Eric Roberts, a uh, collector, um, uh, like seven or eight years ago for a quarter of a million dollars. He bought wow. it. And I, and it, what it was, was all that Star 80 money. I'm kidding. Different no. Eric Roberts. <laughs> different Eric different Roberts. <laughs> um, but it was... Uh, he bought it with cocaine money. <laughs> different Eric Roberts. <laughs> he snorted it away. And he, and he made a mattress out of it. And he just sleeps on the turtles every night. Um, no, was, that was actually done kind of as a publicity stunt. I was just trying to drive traffic to my website. I didn't think it would sell. Are you are, are you in hard times? What is this, Kevin? No. Are you in hard? Like, what is going on? Oh no, no. Thank God, I've, you know the turtles have been very kind to me. But it is sort of a no. It just seemed, um, you know, time, what to I, let, it was, time to let it go. Uh, time to let it go. And, and, and to be honest, it was it was fun that um, 
when Michael Bay made his comment about the turtles being aliens. Yeah, we got to talk about this, or my it, audience will yell at me. Well, it went, and that went global. Um, a very simple statement that he made, and we will talk about it. And then uh, I put a post on my Facebook that said, "Don't worry, I've seen as this." As did Peter. Yeah. As did Peter. Um, um, as did Peter, and that also went global. And I thought, you know, the same thing. I said, you know, the time to to put. Um, the ultimate turtle collectibles back on the market for the world's uh, collectors to share and enjoy and, and own a piece of turtle history is now. You know, mm -hmm. and so that's when I decided. And I called Barry at um, at uh, Heritage Auction. I said, "Let's do an auction. Let's do something awesome, and let's kick off you know the convention season and and everything for uh, 2012 with the turtle stuff because we've got a lot of great turtle stuff coming out." Um, so April 21st, that's the date. That's the date that you guys can start uh, bidding on all this turtle stuff, which is insane. I mean, my first memory of the turtles is literally, I don't know, I, I, my dad used to take me to these comic conventions in Austin, like at the, you know, the, the basement of like the Radisson Inns or like the, the Holiday Inns, or, you know. And at the time, like you were really into the fact that um, Frank Miller was doing Wolverine. You know what I mean? Like, holy shit, Frank Miller's doing Wolverine, and you're really into ninjas because you're, you know, a, a nine, ten-year-old kid. Then all of a sudden you start seeing this black and white. Remember Chris Claremont did the X-Men movie? Mm, like yep. the, the animated X-Men movie was awesome. Like around that time, and then all of a sudden you start seeing this black and white Ninja Turtles thing. You're like, wait, what is this? <laughs> and, and, and literally, I think I told you this story in person a couple months ago, but I abandoned like my 10th or 11th mm. birthday party because I was up in a treehouse reading the first collection of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And my father was like, we invited all your friends, we threw you a party, and you're ignoring them. <laughs> and I think that was the last time I had friends. <laughs> Abandoning my friends for, for comic books, I think, has kind of been a theme in my life uh, since then. But um, well, That's a huge compliment, so thank you. But what you a wave that. of craziness. I mean, mm. surreal, that less than 10 years after you borrow $1,000 from your uncle, mm. this craziness is going on. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was, I think that... Uh, you know, when I go back to the the earliest points where we actually sold the first three thousand copies because I didn't think we didn't think we ever would. Um, when uh, we did the solicitation for book two and we got orders for fifteen thousand copies, and we realized that if we did six issues a year, the profit we could make off each each issue at about fifteen thousand copy sales, we could actually pay our bills, and that's when the dream came true that we mm -hmm. became full time comic book artists. Yeah, and then. Uh, by the end of '85 or so, we were selling well over 100,000 copies of this black and white book each time. At which comic, which major comic book publishers would be killing to do today? Exactly. Yes. No. For sure. I mean, we it, that was huge. I mean, we you know we were constantly surprised that it kept growing. The audience kept growing, and and uh, you know we were doing lots of signings and and local store signings and conventions and those kinds of things, and watching this fan base build, and it was fantastic. Um, the, the the it was a dream come true, um, and it just Never stopped. I mean, along comes. It got worse. It got, well, you know. It didn't just work. I mean, Vanilla Ice theme song. Like, <laughs> like it, don't go there. Don't go there. I mean, you, uh, you still can't listen to that song? I can. I hated it. Well, did you, know, you hate it at the time when you're watching? Yeah. I mean, Ninja Turtles 2. Mm -hmm. Like, were you on set being like, what the fuck? Like, you know, had this gone too far, or like, were you into it? We were, no, we were, well, we were incredibly, you know. Or did the paycheck make you into it? Like, like Ninja Turtles 2. No, we know? were incredibly pissed off, yeah. actually, because if you read the script for movie 2, which is considerably different from what the movie ended up being, okay. uh, the direction that it took, because, you know, you have to go back to, you know, when we were um, approached by different agents to, to say, hey, this could be toys and cartoons and movies, and we were like, no, no, no. The so first movie's awesome. Well, you know, the thing yeah. is, that, well, the first movie almost didn't happen. I mean, it was because, you know, when we did, 
you know, it was 86, 87. Um, we met Agent Mark Friedman. He said, um, I want a five-year contract. We said, how about 30 days? Um, he ended up going out and, and raising interest from Playmates as a toy company and uh, Mokrami Wolf as an animation company. And even though we In were 30 days. 30 days. We, we were like, if you want this that much, you're going to have to earn it. Yeah, earn it. We days. said, yeah. if you, if you. It's smart. Super it, fucking smart. Well, we, you know, we stood on the shoulders of giants. We were, we were, we were aware of what happened to guys like Jack Kirby, who created most of the Marvel Universe and right. doesn't really, was never compensated. And he lost control of his creations. It was, you know, all, and we were aware of protecting our characters and having control. We knew how lucky we were that we mm -hmm. were making a living off characters that we owned and created. And we, dis we alone chose their destiny. Um, Good, bad, or ugly. Um, and so when we started working with the agents and, and the, the, the movie companies, and I mean the, the toy companies initially and the animation companies, we still we retained full control. We, mm -hmm. we approved the scripts. We approved the toys. We approved everything that the entire world saw with the turtle on it. We approved it. I mean, Pete was the one that came up with the idea for the different colored bandanas, which was an awesome idea. You know, so the, that bombs level in the original Nintendo uh, one, in yeah. the original Nintendo game, where you have to like swim to like defuse the bombs, as yeah. hard as that fucking shit was, it's Kevin's fault. It's my fault. And we still, <laughs> people still come up and go like, man, you remember that first game? That was fucking hard. You know, um, you know but, what? I never got stuck at the bombs. The bombs, you're, you're either going to die or you're not. But but I couldn't literally figure out how to throw the rope across the rooftop to get to the second part of the map. You know what I'm talking about? It yeah. was like a simple button combination mm -hmm. to throw a rope across a rooftop to get to the second part of the map. But we were like, you know, it, but the thing is, it's like so many happy accidents. I mean, we did the, the um, we did a five-part animation episode that came out between um, 1987 Christmas and New Year's um, into 88. And that was the first five-part test if the animation show worked. Even working on the animation show, we didn't think it would ever actually be on TV. So mm -hmm. when we actually sat there in our living room watching it on TV, we were, like, we were blown away as probably the rest of the world. Um, based on the success of the TV show, then the toy company agreed to, to go ahead and manufacture the toys. The mm -hmm. toys came out in June of 1988. I remember still going down the, 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 toy, aisle. the toy aisle yeah. at KB Toys in Springfield, Massachusetts. And as we're going down the toy aisle, this mom is dragging her child, her son, out of the toy aisle going... No, I'm not buying you one of those stupid Ninja Turtles. And oh, Pete and I shit. are going like, oh, my uh, God, what have we done? Um, but that Christmas, all the toys blew off the shelf. They mm -hmm. sold well. And then next year, we were th producing 13 more episodes and more toys. And then we got approached to do this movie. And I remember they sent this writer, um, and he was a TV sitcom writer. And they said, this is the guy that's – he gets jokes, and he used to write for the Jeffersons, and he's going to be the writer. <laughs> and we sat – Peter and I sat with him for like half a day, and we were like, no fucking way. He this was just not funny. It was just like somebody you get stuck with in a conversation that you just want to get out of. Yeah. So we said so we literally called um, Golden Harvest and said we're not doing we're not going to do the movie. And they said and he's like no 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 wait we're going to meet the director this guy Steve Barron he did uh, Dire Straits Money for Nothing Billy Jean he worked with Jim Henson he's done these storyteller episodes and and Steve came in and he had one of the large um, turtle you know 560 page collecteds and he had postmarked post post it noted. Parts of issue one, parts of the Leonardo one shot, issue ten and eleven. And he said most of your stories in these issues right here. This tells yeah. the whole story. Yeah, F the Jefferson's guy. <laughs> this is the script. Jefferson's guy was shown the door. No. Um, Todd Langdon, who used to write for the Wonder Years, um, was brought in, and they crafted the the the, 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 the what became the first movie. And then um, we got Jim Henson. Jim Henson came on board to do the turtles to bring the turtles to life. And it's and I remember going through this whole process. And it was like, if the turtles don't work, the movie's not going to work. Right. You have to believe these things work, and they're real. And so the costumes are designed. I mean, the technology that was 
designed and created and patented specifically for the turtles to make them work. That was done in the in the studio in England. I would get you know reams and reams of uh, test footage and photographs, and we approved them that way. And it wasn't until we actually got to set um, down in Wilmington, North Carolina, when they started shooting, when we got to see them in full costume. You and lost we, your mind. Yeah, no, it was. I mean, literally, Pete and I were walking out to the back lot. Um, it was old Dino De Laurentiis studio that was. It was on a set, a city, a New York street set that was built for Mickey Rourke's Year of the Dragon. They were shooting, the, they revamped it to shoot the turtle movie on it. Later, they shot the crow on it, which is interesting. Um, but uh, I remember going to the back lot and coming around this corner, and then there they were. The four turtles were sort of stretching and just goofing around in full costume, getting ready for a scene. I bought it immediately, and also, you know, I was crap my pants because I was like, <laughs> holy shit, here we are. And, you know, and I'd never been on a movie set before. And, so when we went through all of these experiences, um, whether it's the success of the comics initially, the development and the and, and making and bringing the cartoon show to life, working with playmates and bringing the toys to life, working on the movies, it was that same kind of surprise that the first issue sold. Each mm-hmm. time something went out there and it worked again, we were like, "Holy shit, this is getting bigger!" And then it was not just. United States centric then it was uh, European and the United States then it was South America and then pretty soon we're seeing you know the turtles as a global phenomenon that you know wherever mm-hmm. the turtles are appearing it's crossing language barriers and, and all the stuff and that and then you see the takeoffs the, 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 the sewer sharks and you see the <laughs> battle toads yep and were you, were you, does that piss you off or is it yeah. what no no I mean no, you, know, I mean, th- you think about it when we you know we flattering well put it this way when when the first issue came out the, we people still blame the Ninja Turtles for the black and white boom and bust, mm-hmm. and it was like, you know, even though the '60s, mid '60s, late '60s, early '70s, mid '70s, there was a whole underground of Von Bodies and Robert Crumb and Wendy and Richard Peenies and Dave Sims mm-hmm. and all these self-publishers, Kitchen Sink Press, Ripoff Press, all these underground dope comics or Zap comics and stuff. Black and white comics had been around forever. Um, here comes the Turtles, and and. Uh, about two months after the first issue came out, they were selling in the collector's market for 25 bucks a piece. And mm-hmm. everybody said, holy shit, if they can do it. And right. as our story became known, you know, borrowed $1,000 from Uncle, and if these guys can do it and self-publish through the direct market, then anybody can do it. So literally by the following year, there were um, about 21 adjective, 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 noun mm-hmm. titles, like the, the radioactive black belt adolescent hamsters. Right. There was a green, gray, I mean, the, the Molly microwave pre-prepositioned gophers. Those were good that, stuff. I mean, you, I mean would, would things like Flaming Carrot have existed? Would Zap have existed? Would some of these, you know, like, like would, Steve, would, would well, McCloud have been able to make those comics if you guys hadn't made that climate? It would, would I have ever discovered ElfQuest right. if, if that well, climate hadn't have been there? Right. Well, those guys all came before us. I, I mean, know. And, it was, and that I was know. what was fantastic. And I think it really, it, it people, the collector market, every time the, collect, the comic market has grown exponentially it's always been because collectors come in it's, mm-hmm. you, at the end of the day it's like you have these amount of people reading it and then you know something like the turtles hits as a collector thing and suddenly you know anybody that puts out a, a comic book a black and white comic book two color cover the especially the comic store owners don't want to miss on the next big thing so suddenly they're, you know, they're having to buy it they're buying it like you know hundred thousand copies of anything anybody put out in black mm-hmm. and white and quickly those when people realize that a hundred thousand copies doesn't make something collectible that market goes away, and all that's left is the readers. Mm-hmm. You know, remember when um, the color comics? I remember when um, um, Wildstorm, Image, when Image oh, first yeah. started going, they were talking millions of copies. I yeah. mean, 
And spawn, is, spawn number one isn't worth anything because everybody not, has it. Everybody has it, yeah. Right. They did a million some odd copies of yeah. Spawn number one. I mean, Death of Superman was seven million copies, multiple covers. Everybody has it. Everybody has it. But right. people were buying you know, cases at like 400, 400, 500 copies of Superman number one and, and thinking like, oh my goodness, I'm going to put my kids through college when I sell these. And it's like, <laughs> dude, there's seven million of them. It's still, it'll never be worth anything ever. Heritage auction, everybody. We've got to put his kid through college. No, oh, no. <laughs> Guys, no. Her- heritage auctions, everybody. Kev, uh, listen, Kevin, you, you want me to buy you lunch or something? No, yeah. <laughs> well, the, uh, thanks for the water. I can, I'll go home and share it with my family. But actually, use that water in a garden to grow vegetables to feed yeah. your kids. Yeah, um, so, so, so this, this, uh, this IDW movie, like, like this IDW uh, book, I think, that it's, I think it's the best reboot that I've seen of the turtles because it is streamlined. It is, I can't, I really guys buy it. And I think that you guys have a trade of it coming up pretty soon, or if it's not out already. Um, now the Michael Bay movie, you don't have ownership of it. We just talked about, mm-hmm. so they can do what they want. Sure. And, um, what, what do you think of this whole mutants, uh, not being mutants, they're actually aliens. What do you think about this? Cause obviously the public outcry is something you've, noticed oh for sure well yeah, the thing is and, and uh you know just to <laughs> it's funny that uh um i'm not doing the heritage auction so i can eat by the way just so you know we're fucking around um, guys i know Honestly, just, we're i don't want around. people thinking like oh my god no it's no but i have to say it's like <laughs> when uh when the michael bay thing came out um what's 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 interesting is i've been working with um uh scott mendick and galen walker on the reboot of the turtles um and we did this um about two and a half years ago we did this um Batman Begins sort of reimagining of the first Turtle movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done... Um, you in know, a script. In, in a, a script. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, there's, I think, four or five different versions. And then there was uh, a couple other versions. But um, the idea, um, Applebaum and Josh uh, and... Uh, Applebaum and Nemec, the two guys, the Ghost Protocol writer guys who are awesome fans and awesome writers, uh, come up with a take on the movie. And I, I read the, like, the first 40 pages and I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was awesome. It was... You know, of course, I'm not going to tell you anything about no. it, but it was uh, um, what they had developed and, and, and what they had done to crack the sort of the concept and make it work was and, was yeah. similar to, um, and I say similar in the sense that how uh, like Tom Waltz cracked the new comic series is that he looked at the Turtles universe, picked his favorite bits, and then sort of reimagined them into this you know uh, universe of this new foundation to build all the other stories from. And this is what they wanted to do with the Turtle franchise. Um, um, and so when I, when Michael Bay, who's, when it's been developed, 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 Michael Bay's not um, had hands-on because he's doing, you know, Transformers and all these other things, but it's being produced through his company, uh, through his company, um, it says something like, you know, uh, talks about one of the elements like... Um, they're from outer space. They're from outer space. Now, the thing is, it's like... Um, if you go back to the Turtles run of three, four, five, six, and seven, the original series that Peter and I did, mm-hmm. um, when we pick up on the element of the mutagen that hit young Matt Murdock near the eyes and then continued bouncing <laughs> down the street and it crashed into these, um, uh, this uh, boy holding this, uh, da- standing dangerously close to an open sewer and it crashes into his bowl of uh, terrapins and the turtles and they go down on the thing and they're exposed to the school. We wanted to create the origin of where the ooze came from. If you go back to the original series, the ooze is from the the Ultrams, the the aliens <laughs> stuck here in R. So the ooze is actually an alien mutagen that caused the turtles to 
you know, Kevin, what you just said is so retarded, we just don't care anymore. Exactly. Michael Bay can do whatever the hell he wants. Right. But the thing is, it's like, <laughs> so people got pissed off of an origin story that was kind of crazy and ridiculous to be in with. Exactly. Well, the thing is, it's like everything like um, that Tom Waltz did and we did with the IDW series ties in specifically to turtle history, turtle lore, and beats. And it's like they picked up on one quote and, and that was sort of the way that it was, it was said and interpreted. Um, you, 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 you're looking at this thread and this couch I'm sitting on right. and you're missing the whole rest of the couch because the story is fantastic and all that it embodies and all that it tells. Um, and it does still tie into the turtle lore. So one of the things I said to the fans, I said, look, um, don't take that comment to embody it because, one, number one, you've just created the, the, the greatest marketing moment in, in the history of the Turtles franchise because now everybody's going to want to see the movie to see if they're going to actually be yeah. aliens or not or whatever. Um, so but the origin is alien. Well, there's – if you Just like in the comic, the origin was alien. Exactly. The origin of the goo is alien. So was Michael Bay saying that the origin is actually alien and that they, them, there's not a turtle planet somewhere? Because that's what immediately people were talking about. Oh, there's a fucking yeah, turtle, turtle planet. planet. Well, that's you know, Transformers. Like there's a robot planet. You know what I mean? Like people were like, wait, is he just doing Transformers again? Well, both the, turtles. No, the thing is, well, first I can't tell you anyway. But the thing you. is, it's like, How dare um, you, sir, give me that water. I know, <laughs> give, give me that water. But no, but um, what's cool is, is that um, you know, I think that that um, it's going to be cool to have people wonder again, much like you know when they did, uh, you know, when Tom and I did um, had April's name the turtles, not mm -hmm. Splinter, in the new IDW series. We were, I was waiting for the aftershock. I was waiting for the tsunami of, of backlash from the fans, and there was nothing when we. Were you, the were fact you disappointed? You like to you like to piss off fat people? No, no, no. It's a <laughs> no, you know what? Listen, nerd. You know, the best part of um, you like to poke us with sticks. Is that what you like? Peter and I um, did fifteen issues of the Turtles. Mm -hmm. Fifteen, one five. That's that it. was that's it. That's it. We did we did um, Turtles one through eleven, plus um, four one issue micro series. We got back together and co-wrote Turtles 1920-2021. They returned to New York. We got back and wrote um, Turtles 50 and did that. But, you know, the original, the entire Turtle universe, which is all 300 cartoon episodes, and I and actually I put on my Facebook page, I told the fans to go back. You can go to the original Mirage Studios website, and you can, they have a synopsis of all 300 animation episodes. If you want to see some fucking crazy ideas, go back and look at some of the, <laughs> some of the <laughs> stuff we did in the Turtles cartoon show because... Even you think like, you know, Krang as a character in a cartoon show, Bebop and Rocksteady as characters in a cartoon show, and the whole Dimension X and the whole crazy fucked up stuff we did with that. Um, it was just a storytelling device to come up with more bizarre and weird stuff. You know, we turned April into a cat woman. We turned, I mean, I've literally, yeah, yeah. you know, Splinter's origin changed in the cartoon series. Um, he was reincarnated there, which we brought the reincarnation back into, into the, the thing. IDW. So, um, um, Again, it's, it's always like, been reinterpreted. Yeah, it's all it's it's reinterpreting it. In, um, and again, there was other beats in the like the reincarnation part that we brought into the IDW series. Again, I was waiting for this monstrous, you know, uprising from the fans going, "How? What are you doing?" But it still fits into the turtle lore and it fits into the very specific parts of turtle history. And, and most people, um, you know, when the turtle cartoon show was like the number one watched cartoon show in America. It didn't affect the sales of the black and white comic because they were so dramatically different. Mm -hmm. The story was different. The stories were edgier. This, you know, we still kept the original intent and in, in intensity that we did in the black and white series, which we couldn't do in the in the cartoon. in the cartoon series. Which is why we had the Archie comics, which was you know you had things like the Mutanimals line and a Turtles Archie team up mm -hmm. and all the stuff. It's like, you know, before you sort of um, 
take one sort of Curl. out of context quote yeah. and go lose your mind over it. Look back over the entire turtle universe, and there's some pretty amazing stuff. Not only cool stuff, but bizarre stuff that we did. So you guys are yelling about a reinterpretation of a reinterpretation of a reinterpretation. <laughs> but so just wait. Yeah. Wait, because it's got to be awesome. Just wait and watch. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because again, this is a reinterpretation of a reinterpretation of a reinterpretation. And people shouldn't be so bent out of shape because you think that the original story was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, <laughs> um, bring, bring back those triceratops aliens. Oh, man. Well, the, you think about it. It's like, you know, um, and I do, and, and it's like the original story was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And we, in, in the You great, laugh when people get so upset. No, I, well, you know. You love that they care about it. I love that they care about it because it's, but it's like, you know, it's all to the same, same time. Um, you know, I, I I feel incredibly lucky that we have any fans at all. You know that I that I can go to a comic book signing and have one fan st stand in line, mm -hmm. and and it's been a long time since I've had you know people wait five hours for an autograph. Um, and I think that um, you know just the fact that you know they took you know the first fifteen issues that Peter and I did as a story, and when you're working in the world uh, as in a concept world as bizarre as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and the things that we did. Story-wise, there that's that's the holy grail. That's the original concept. And then, you know, starting with issue twelve of the turtles, um, you know, Pete did a one-shot, and we had guest issues from Michael Zuli and Mark Bodie and and Michael Dooney and Rick Feach, and so many awesome different guys came in, and they all did their own interpretations of the turtles. They came to us with story ideas, and we'd go, "Yeah, that's pretty good." Sure. And we loved it, and up to including the whole. You know Dan Clark and the guys that we worked for with uh, on the cartoon series. I mean, they did a reinvention, and you know we knew that they were marketing for a specific audience, and um, uh, and that was fascinating to see what they saw in the turtles, to see different things that we agreed to, because we still had full approval of what could happen and what could not happen. Mm -hmm. Things that we agreed to change to make the comic series work, whether it be different bandanas and and things. I mean, did you ever see that um, Turtles Forever DVD? By the way, what is <laughs> movie? That? You have to see this movie, and the fans will will the fans will will know it. Um, uh, the final um, four kids uh, new turtles animated series um, event that was done was um, they did this movie called Turtles Forever, and it was they did a, it was a movie. It was released as a movie. Nickelodeon released it as a movie, and it was they took the original 1980 80s turtles, met the 2002 oh I heard about re this yeah Magic Turtles, which then as the the, as a it was world, supposedly good. It was fantastic. It yeah. was, and it, they go back and meet the original black and white turtles, and they all fight together. Um, and and when Lloyd, um, uh, the guys, the guys that came to, came up with the idea, approached me, he said, "We're going to do this thing where you and Peter are going to have a, um, a voice thing. We're going to have a moment, a live action bit at the end." And they told me what they were doing the story. I said, "Dudes, this is either going to be beyond cool and work on every level, or it's going to fail miserably." And, uh, <laughs> Um, but in a way, that's always been the turtles. It's, fan it's fantastic, and it is, right. and it's like people bought it. But you look at how goofy the pizza-eating, goofy cowabunga dude turtles were in the 80s, yeah. how stupid those, you know, I mean, I say stupid in the most endearing sense. They were very juvenile, and they were models for a very young audience. And mm -hmm. then when Peter spearheaded the, the reinvention with um, Fox uh, and, uh, and, and um, four kids, they made them all edgier, and the shredder was mostly gone, and... They were all dark and, and evil. Then uh, they go back to the original black and white turtles, and then they so they put all these different universes together, which was which was pretty fascinating. It's turtles forever. Um, turtles forever. It's a must. Um, you know, all the again. Is that all on the, Netflix or something? I'm sure. Yeah, oh, I'm we gotta sure. find that. Yeah, you have to find it. It's worth watching. It is sort of one of those things that everybody went into it um, wanting 
wanting to hate it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think even... Like, oh, rolling their eyes, like, come mm-hmm. on, you're just raping our childhood at that point. And yeah. it wasn't. You know, when we, every time we did a new, it's like the same thing when every time we did a new issue of the IDW series, and it's like, what? She, April's, April's not a reporter? She's, an, oh, wait, she's a scientist. Like, a oh, what? Reincarnation? You guys, oh, well, you did that. And they, what? You can't do that. Well, Krang's in there. Well, the, you know, and it's like they keep wanting to hate it, but it's like they and keep And you guys are throwing everything at us. Like, like there's shout-outs to what may become Bebop and Rocksteady, and mm-hmm. you get excited about that stuff because you're like, okay, well, this is here, mm-hmm. and, if they, and if these humans who are very Bebop and Rocksteady-like end up in as an actual... Mute, you know, mutated version later on, it huh? makes sense. And like, yeah. if, if it makes sense, it's fine. I mean, yeah. this Michael Bay movie with Jonathan Leesman makes sense, then we're happy. I mean, guaranteed they're going to be ninjas. Yep. They're going to be turtles. <laughs> yep. Okay, okay. So, 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 guys, we got that. <laughs> they're going to be ninjas and they will be turtles. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's like, you know, in the action, it's going to be, you know, the set pieces and the action and the bits, just the, the bits that I've seen um, and it's still being developed as, 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 as we. As we talk, is that um, you know once uh, you know um, Jonathan had been uh, identified as a director, he really came in and he's molding his own movie based on you know um, he's he's in the same situation that like Tom Waltz was when he came in. It's like he's he sort of wants to tell his own story, but he's got to be beholden to the fans, and he knows he's walking a very fine line. It is a knife's edge of, you know, but you know, as a director and a creative guy, he wants to make a movie that's exciting for him to make too. So and the action yeah. will be sick. Will there be it's gonna be sick. Will there be co- <laughs> will it be sick? Will, I mean, will there be a combination of CGI and people in suits, or like what, how's that gonna work? I think they're still figuring it out. I mean, right. it's much like um, as he said, he said in 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 uh, interviews recently, like when you look at um, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, yeah. and Rise of the Apes. I mean, that that's insane what they're able to do. Um, but at the same time, you look at other. Um, options like doing uh, guys in suits with CG enhancement to help with the action mm-hmm. and the movement. There's, so I think all like every, what Hellboy did when they added Hellboy's tail. Exactly. So everything's on the table, and that's what's cool about you know. Look at every. We're going to be seeing an Avengers movie here. And whoever would have thought that would have an Avengers movie, and in this way with guys like you know Robert Downey Jr. It's insane, Mark right? Ruffalo. It's insane, and I'm so excited. I was so excited that Captain America was a good movie because um, I'm a huge. I grew up. That was one of my favorite that was characters. Your book. Yeah, that it was, was Captain America and Daredevil, and I always liked the guys that were like I never particularly liked Superman. He was like too fantastic. Yeah, he, I like Batman was great, and Daredevil was great, and Captain America was great. Those are some more grounded sort of characters, mm-hmm. but um, but I just I'm I'm super jazzed for for the Avengers, and so anything's possible, you know, in the world of special effects. And mm-hmm. the X Men movies, I thought, you know, um, were fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. different levels of you know, awesomeness, but I like them all. Since you guys, since you sold Ninja Turtles, has there ever been anything like iteration where you've been like, ah, I don't know, I'm not so keen on that one, and I'm shaking my head. Well, I mean, granted, we were talking about how upset you were with Ninja Turtles too, the movie. Yeah, well, it's, it, I put it as this, is um, um, a lot of it, like, I would look at, say, Rick Veach's, Rick Veach did this series called The River um, mm-hmm. early on, um, and it was a three-part series, and it was, and I loved it um, for what he did. It was, but it's not how I would do it, right. but I loved it. Michael Zuli did a three-part series. Um, we did the Turtles very realistic. He used to draw this series called Puma Blues, and he did very almost um, uh, naturalist animal, naturalist artist, perfect, you know, real, a real muted, mutated turtle would look mm-hmm. like. Um, it's not how I would do it, but I thought it was fantastic. Um, you know, when you get to something like uh, Turtles 2, the problem I had with Turtles 2 was not that... Um, you know, somebody uh, took a misstep and did do it how I do it. They actually, 
I thought the screenplay for Turtles 2 was fantastic, and I thought that um, there was a very conscious decision by the studio not to have the Turtles use any of their weapons. Um, uh, the two characters, uh, Toka and Reizar, were not, you know, babies. Yeah. They were really vicious, you know, had to be controlled animals, and I think they thought they were too scary for the kids' audience. So they made they, them ridiculous. They dumbed it down. Yeah. They took, you know, what was great about movie one, it was right in the middle of um, the, the black and white series and the animated series. Mm-hmm. It was movie one. Movie two was a live-action cartoon. Movie three, I thought, was more between a live-action cartoon of movie two and the true um, uh, representation of the turtles right. in movie one. So, um, uh, so too hurt. Two, you're like, come on, you, come on. You, it was took em- my, you took the idea, and you, it's kind of... It was embarrassing, I yeah. <laughs> And, you know, Vanilla Ice was... Did you, you know, meet Vanilla Ice? I did not, no. Oh, it's shit. like um, <laughs> You didn't even get to meet Vanilla. I didn't even get to meet him. It's like, uh, you know, we were, you know, even in the early days, in those when they were, you know, we'd go down to the set once or twice, but we weren't... Um, we were literally running a, um, an empire, and, and people would... And think, and I think they have this sort of vision of back in those days when we were making a lot of money, and we were making a lot of money, that we were just sitting around the pool trying to come up with new ideas of what to do next. And it was, no, we we were two guys that, um, you know, through that drawing that is going out for auction through Heritage. Yeah. I've still got my first turtle drawing, but we're selling the original first right. drawing that Peter and I did together. Um, uh, we were running an empire that we had every uh, say in control, and, and, and we... With that many products, that takes a lot. Yeah, we did. We had right. twenty one twenty one employees at one point, just helping manage the worldwide. I mean, we had three or four thousand licenses. We were doing. Did um, you start to hate the turtles at any time? You know what I mean. Did you start hating it? Did you, I mean, when you start thinking about the other stuff that you wanted to do as a creator, did you sort of really start hating it? Well, I wouldn't say hate. It was sort of because you know, again, when when people go, man, you know, um, look at all the stuff you do with the turtles, um, and and that's. Those are the times when you kind of take pause and you sort of look back and you go, holy shit, there was an amazing amount of stuff. But when you're in the middle of it, when I mean, we used to uh, help write, approve um, uh, all the animated cartoon episodes. We worked with Playmates and, and half, we designed half the toy line in-house. We produced the entire Archie Turtles comics in-house. We were producing our own comics in-house. We were doing... With the artists that we had, we were designing, you know, if you were doing, um, you know, uh, turtle tchotchkes for Burger King or you're doing, you know, turtles, um, yarmulkes in Turkey, you know what I mean? We did either the work, approved it, or we did everything came out of this little tiny too much. It was too much. And we worked, you know, we had 90, 100 hours a week. It was too much. It was too much. And so Peter and I went from, and specifically from, uh, say, 1980. Seven, we were drawing still 90% of the time and doing, uh, spending 10% of the time running the business. The next year, by 1988 into 89, it was the exact opposite. We were spending 90% of our time doing business and 10% of our time physically drawing. We were being creative, working on other aspects of it. But it got to be that um, it was so large that basically Peter would say, like, you handle that pile over there and I'll handle this pile. And we're... And it's almost, I mean, even with our relationship, because we were great, great friends, and we... Did it erode your, your relationship? Well, no, I, I was sort of, it's like um, we were married for the kids, right. so to speak. It became contractual. Your friendship became contractual. Well, it became contractual just out of necessity. It wasn't right. because we we used to go to the comic store, we used to go to movies together, we used to do stuff like that together, and there was there was literally no time. And mm-hmm. we, when every time we were um, 
in the office. It wasn't like, you know, hey, let's go grab lunch together. Hey, like this. It was like, okay, we're getting sued here, here, and here. People <laughs> claim they get the short rolls. We get trademarked. Those sewer shark guys are fucking sewer with us again. The, 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 my, the mice from, biker mice from Mars. <laughs> the or, biker mice from um, Mars. People were fucking with us. We were like, we'd have, you know, we had five or six lawyers. And, you know, we would have ongoing probably 10 or 15 different lawsuits. You couldn't be friends. You could only well, be coworkers. It was, it was coworkers. We were just in, but we had to make, um, but... The respectful thing and the part of the thing was that every single decision was still, um, you know, two yeses made a yes, a yes and a no made a no. So we had to agree on every aspect mm-hmm. of running the business. And we did that. It wasn't, again, every day, if I saw you every day and every day it was like, okay, we need to, we have to address and deal with this issue because there's 1,500 more behind it. So every, it was like, okay, that's fine. Okay, that's fine. That's, that's fine. And by the time we are like, just you know, and having a personal life yeah. and whatever outside of that, it was like, um, so it was, um, the relationship was gone. It was just work. Are and, you guys uh, still friends or yeah. we still email a couple times a week? Okay. Yeah. But it's, it's not one of these things where it's like Van Halen. No, no, it was never, um, you know, uh, it was never bad in that we never hated, it was never that we didn't hate each other. It was never that we didn't, uh, um, we didn't never, we never hated each other. It was like, Get to the point by the time I was the first one to jump is that, you know, I'd bought Heavy Metal Magazine. I had, uh, and why'd you do that? Why'd you buy it? Because it was, I could. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> no, well, it was. It was. It's funny. Is I was, um, I started this um, publishing company called Tundra Publishing, which mm-hmm. was designed to be like the Apple Records of Comics, which was most of the guys that we were meeting in the convention circuit, um, all of them were working for Marvels and DCs, and they were doing regular page rate work. To pay their bills, to pay their mortgage. But they didn't own anything. They didn't own anything. And, right. and every, without fail, every single convention or every single signing, I'd go out to the to the bar with all the guys afterwards, and they'd go, man, you're so lucky with the Turtles. If I had uh, the opportunity to create my own thing, I would do this. And if I had my own thing, I would do that. And so I said, I'll put my money where my mouth is, and I'll build a company called Tundra, and I'll publish your works. I'll supply you with the cash to publish your dream project and you'll own 80% of the property. It'll be an 80-20 profit split and you'll own the entire rights to the property. But as a fan, I want you to be able to get your work out there. I want to be able to get the work Mm -hmm. out. So I published things like From Hell and The Crow and, you know, uh, Taboo and just, I mean, tons and tons. This is good shit too. Oh, it was awesome stuff. That's awesome. I loved all that stuff. That was an incredible time. And in the same time, I I also built the Words and Pictures Museum which was designed to showcase comic book art. image before image. Yep. You know, everybody, image. everybody freaks out about oh, these image guys did such great things, but like Tundra sounds like it's image before image. It was, yeah, it was all creator owned. It was a hundred percent creator friendly company, and um, and uh, what happened to it? It it basically it was it's like it be I set it up as um, the Apple Records of Comics, and I would tell people it's not going to end the same way, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, it did. It was, you know, when you have Dave McKean. Mm-hmm. For example, drawing Arkham Asylum. He's got Batman, the Joker, in this asylum, and it's this beautifully painted um, hardcover book that sells hundreds and hundreds of thousands of copies. And then he does his dream project, which is this 12-part expensively produced series about um, sort of uh, philosophical blues artists talking about life and philosophy while this cat wanders around this neighborhood for 12 issues. Um, it's slightly different. Yeah. And, it's the, you know, an audience. So... You know, we would sell, um, 
you know, 8,000 copies. We'd, you know, the first year I think we were publishing, I think we got like 30 different award nominations but lost like $2 million. Jesus. Um, it was like Merrimax. We were like, everything we did was, you know, oh, my God, From Hell, Alan Moore's next big project and award nominations and that. But, you know, we lost a fortune making that happen because the fans weren't buying it. So everything, every single thing that Tundra published lost money without fail, whether it was Mr. Monster or The Crow or – and so I ended up – at that time, um, merging it with Kitchen Sink Press because I wanted to get back to drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I also had I own Heavy Metal magazine at that time. I bought that because that was, it was literally came to me in 1990. Um, I was publishing some European material at Tundra, and a friend of mine, Fashid, um, who was friends with the, with the staff of Heavy Metal, um, Heavy Metal had just been bought by a company in uh, LA because um, a lot of people didn't, uh, don't realize or don't remember that National Lampoon magazine used to own heavy metal. And this company in Hollywood bought National Lampoon to put National Lampoon on movies. And they right. had this heavy metal thing dangling. And they were like, we don't even want it. So right. um, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. I bought it for nothing. And you guys still working on the movie? Oh, yeah. We got a, we're, mean... we're doing a, I spent four years developing an awesome movie with, Robert, with um, David Fincher, which never, right. David never was able to raise the money, which is... That's um, crazy. It's crazy. It that is. is crazy that in this climate, like think about that, guys. David Fincher, who's coming off of two straight really successful movies, totally. isn't able to, to raise money to do his segment of a heavy metal movie. I think it was, um, and David is to his, I mean, he pitched this thing hard for four years. He's a fantastic guy. He's a fantastic director, and he really wanted to do this movie. and had a really wonderful vision, teamed up with um, Tim Miller and the guys on at Blur Animation, and their work is fantastic. They were gonna, we were all going to do the animation here in Venice at Blur. Um, but it was as a as a single quadrant R rated animated anthology movie. It literally falls out of every single put deal in the entire planet. It's not Shrek, no, no, exactly. <laughs> People like they said, David, we love it, but it's what this the fuck is, is just it? what is it? It's, How can we put this out? Especially yeah. if everything's going PG thirteen. If, yeah. if Expendables two is becoming PG thirteen, shit, that's so, it. So what do you do? We, I mean, is there any way to do this? Like Kevin, is there any way to do Heavy Metal magazine? Now that we're thinking. Like a VOD or – I'm not thinking – okay, this is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is – and I'm facing this in independent film – is that things at Sundance aren't selling for more than two and a half, two million dollars. So why make a movie over 500000 And it doesn't sound like good business to you, but in order to have a brand uh, – have the brand represented in that like multimedia sector, why not do something where you're making these things – either animated or mixture of animation and in, in, in digital graphics, you're yep. doing it at a more independent level, a more mm-hmm. experimental level, and you're putting it straight out to an, either an on-demand or a online or direct kind of thing like that. Well, I think that's exactly what Robert Rodriguez is looking Robert, That's what we're saying. Yeah. He started his own animation studio. Yep. Yeah, Robert's a fan, I mean, besides probably... Um, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Um, he used to come, I have a studio not far from here, and he used to come, he'd always call me at like 11 o'clock at night after he'd finished all of his other meetings. He said, I want to come over and watch animation and talk about heavy metal. So I'd come to the studio, and it's 8 or 4 in the morning, and then he'd get back and fly back to Austin. Um, and so he optioned the rights to do heavy metal as a movie. We started developing different ideas, and he's got, um, I think, a brand uh, awareness. He's got a style of his own. He's a huge fan of heavy metal um, material, the kinds of material he's doing, whether it be Sin City 2, which he's doing now, um, even things like Machete and Dust Till Dawn and all. Um, 
and you know, God, Sin City in itself is is sort of like a great anthology movie that even would Spy Kids and Spy Kids even Spy Kids. <laughs> so even, he, though, even though none of you geeks like the Spy Kids, you've seen the Spy Kids. Yep, I've seen. I have two kids. It's a but, series that's so successful. Probably its most successful thing, even though the geeks who love him for the other things aren't going to admit that. And I think you know what what's great about Rodriguez is that he's um, he's a self made man. He's he's made his own studio, and he's um, and he likes to control what he cre- you know uh, love it or hate it. He controls what he creates and 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 does it his way. And he has a fantastic vision for heavy metal, and I think he's the guy that can pull it off as a movie because he can bring. You know, he's he's a guy that can put Robert Rodriguez's heavy metal over it and make it work. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Uh, um, and now he's and got so, the animation studio. Yeah, he's got an animation studio. He's got his own TV. Would network. there be room the same way that Robert Rodriguez works with Frank Miller and Quentin Tarantino on mm-hmm. the first? Would there be room if Robert Rodriguez is the linchpin, is the head guy on this film? Would there be a way for David Fincher and other individuals still to be involved in their chapters? Well, I guess it would be up to David, really, because it's David is. Um, um, yeah, I mean, because you'd say no to him, right? <laughs> if he wanted to be involved, it'd be great to have him. Oh, of course. No, yeah. David. I mean, to, to be honest, um, you know, I think David as a um, as a director is, is is one of my all time favorites, and he did. You know, when we spent um, we spent a, a considerable amount of time developing his version of what he thought would work as a heavy metal picture, and he and he would pitch it. Um, you know, he pitched it sixty, seventy, eighty times to the every studio head that he. Uh, there was no stone unturned that he did not pitch heavy metal as a concept to that he just you know they didn't have the faith in it that David had and it wasn't that they didn't distrust him and his vision I think it was just I don't think they got it um, you right. know, they, uh, they only see like the the people who are going to the movies yeah. that weekend yeah so I think like, this is what's selling now mm-hmm. not when two years when this movie's done we don't we don't know how to create a climate where this is successful no exactly I mean every every single breakout hit we've ever seen has come out of independent filmmaking whether right. you're talking you know stuff like Shaun of the Dead or you know whatever you pick you pick the some of the biggest moments it's come out of you know the independence once it goes into the studio system it has to be processed and milled down to the you know the the lowest common denominator, but the it's simplest a, common denominator, which it works everybody. is everybody wants a four-quadrant picture with an A cast that sells worldwide, and you guys watching on planes. And then the, the Turtles <laughs> movie, is it going to be PG or PG-13? Because you'll never, nerds, you'll never get your R-rated Ninja Turtles movie where they're skewering people. <laughs> It'll <laughs> no, probably I, be PG, right? Well, I think that, you know, it. it uh, um, that's a... I say that, and, I, and I'm, I'm. It's probably answer, too early, but like. Well, I'm answering carefully because it is sort of like you know when we're working on the IDW series, um, the stuff that we had to get approval approval from Nickelodeon to do, like you know when the first issue you have um, Casey's um, alcoholic drunk right. dad beating, beating him up, him, right. and you know uh, the stuff that they allowed us to do there was was intense, and they mm-hmm. really. You know, mapped out a very careful like you. We're, they respect to the original series, respect to all the stuff. They let us keep all the edge, and and so the movie. I think um, they've almost broken it down in a way that we've done it, that we did it way back in the day. Is the black and white? The comic book was its own universe mm-hmm. and its own planetary system and its own set of rules that applied there. The animation series that Ciro Neely's developed for Nickelodeon is fantastic it's got its very specific vision and it's got a very specific style and it's got a very specific pacing and take on the characters which is different from the comics and mm. then the movie is going to be the same and we did um you think back of the when peter and i were controlling all rights to it comic was very specific set mm. of rules the archie series was uh, specific rules that applied to like what we do in the animation series which is different and then the movies were a completely separate beast mm-hmm. mixing all of the worlds. so i think that 
what they end up doing as a movie, it's it's almost like the movie will help dictate what the movie will be. Right. I think uh, if they think that they can, um, you know, keep an edge and keep it uh, um, uh, enough of the core audience, you know, um, it's, they're not going to be having five, six-year-old kids um, in there, I don't think. And right. I think, and even the cartoon series is to be reimagined as an older audience. The comic series is surely, you know, intended to be an older audience. You're not, we're not bringing in a whole, you know, group of seven-year-olds going to see, you know, what what we're doing in the IDW series is really written for the core fan base. Um, mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see where that falls. And it ultimately does fall down to um, the studio and the marketing guys in the end, you know, and that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, 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 it's hey. the same guys, the same guys that put in vanilla ice in the end, which I still, <laughs> you know, you sons of bitches. Sons of bitches. <laughs> Who thought of that idea? <laughs> you know, and honestly, I think it was like, you know, what happened is, and I could see the, it's like, it's trying to fix something that's not broke, or try to put um, to make something approve upon something that doesn't need need to be approved upon or improved upon. Like MC Hammer was on the soundtrack of the first movie, right. but he was put on that just before he broke as an artist. So they sort of contributed. Yeah, you should have I mean, gone indie. You should have gone with somebody like Snow. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Remember that song, Informer? Yeah. Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> it was like the vanilla. You should have gone indie. You yeah. should go with something like that. I mean, Will Smith did the what, what did he do? He did the Nightmare on Elm Street soundtrack. <laughs> like, hey, well, that's you know, once it becomes a business, everybody gets, right. has to get in and try to fix it. You know, make right. it better. Like, we can't fuck it up now. Don't do anything different. It's kind of nice you're not owning it. It, you know, it's, it's kind of nice that you get to put, you're still respected enough as a, as one of the co-creators to put in your input. They're yep. still looking to you as the source. Yep. But you know what? If it's broken, hey, Michael Bay <laughs> broke it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's funny, but it's. Uh, you know, but it, I mean, it, that might be the situation you're in. If it's broken, nobody's going to come to Kevin Eastman and get mad. Well, so, you know what I what I love is, and, and I tell you this: if you go if you go to the Ninja Turtle website and you start looking back at some of the some of the animation episodes that I approved, you'd be are you fucking kidding me? So it's like you know it's the thing everybody guys. He had tons of money in a drug culture. Okay, you can't blame him for this shit. All right? I was up to my neck in hookers please, and alcohol. And, please don't blame him. Um, but in the cocaina, <laughs> please. He was like the comic book version of Scarface. It's not his fault. <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. <laughs> little turtle head. Uh, no, everybody looks at the, at, the, at the past with rose-colored glasses, and it's like, and I look at some of the stuff we did, even in the original comic books, and go like, whoa. Uh, if you look back at, if you really look back at some of that stuff and go, oh, yeah, you're right. And, uh, that was a great idea. Not yeah. really. Remember Villain of Ice. <laughs> <laughs> Man, those were, the vanilla ice days were the good days. Um, yeah, no, guys. Again, I, I think we've gotten a great perspective from uh, uh, Kevin about you know what everybody's upset about. Uh, but really, here's the focus: buy the IDW series because I think that if you guys are really looking for a pure your version of the turtles uh, take, the the turtles that you know as a hardcore fan you want, um, the IDW series is really the best way you're going to get it right now. Also, guys, if you want to own it, because you just have to have your hands on it, uh, April 21st, you guys are going to have this Heritage Auction, all right? And um, it does go to a good cause. Kevin is moving to Florida where there's less bullshit from Hollywood, <laughs> you know? And he's probably not going to go to a message board ever again. <laughs> so fuck all, <laughs> fuck all these haters. Uh, Florida where there's no weirdos coming on them about, uh, you know fucking the turtles or giving the turtles to Michael Bay or shit like that. Obviously, we've ex- expressed in this interview that uh, it's been long since that was in his hands. Uh, but Heritage Auctions, April 21st, you know, go for it, all right? Throw some money down. And IDW Ninja Turtles. And you know what? Maybe we'll have Kevin back somehow over Skype 
when this movie comes out and you guys either love it or hate it. And he'll be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, whatever. I don't own it. Yep. I, you know, I went in and met with those guys a couple times, you know. Um, and that's that. Kevin, dude, we, we look forward to it. And the stuff you're Thanks. talking about with Robert Rodriguez and the heavy metal movie sounds awesome. No, it is. It actually, what's, what is fun, you know, just touching on, you know, what you said, it's, it's great to come into the Turtles and, and have my say and, and work it. And, you know, it's not all that much different than we did back in the day. And it's, but it's also fun to be able to go off and do my own projects. I own, still own Heavy Metal Magazine, and it's, you know, we've got lots of loyal fans there, and I'm excited about the Heavy Metal movie. I'm excited about... Did you like the South Park episode, Major Boobage? Are you fucking kidding me? You it must have awesome. fucking been going nuts. I loved it. It was fantastic. It was like, that was the funniest <laughs> thing I'd ever seen in my life. And, I, and that's the thing, you know, people people go like, whoa, did you, did you, were you going to sue those guys? I'm like, are you kidding me? It's the fucking greatest compliment it, ever. That's the hugest compliment it's ever. It's amazing. Um, but you know, heavy metal. I've owned heavy metal for 21 years, and it's a dream company and a dream project. So Working great. with Robert Rodriguez is fantastic. You know, drawing the turtles again is fantastic. But it's the same as I've got. You know, I'm producing a new uh, animated War of the Worlds movie, which is coming out this Get summer. Get the fuck uh, out yeah, of here! Yeah, it's called War of the Worlds Goliath. It's going to be premiered at San Diego Comic Con in 3D. We'll um, be there. I've got you know other stuff I want to direct, other stuff I want to write, other stuff I want to produce, and I think that you know, getting out of Hollywood is. Uh, I've been here for 20 years, and I'm ready to get back and be mm -hmm. creative. So. Well, Kevin. Uh, we got a booth in, uh, on the floor at Comic Con. I know you got the IDW yep. guys and all sorts of resources. But anything you want to throw out to the Geekscape is through the Geekscape booth or the Geekscape website. It's yours. Okay. Awesome. So you got to keep us uh, up to date on all that stuff. This Heritage Auction, we'll let the Geekscape us know on the site when it goes live. That's April 21st. The IDW stuff, guys. Read it if you're really going for a hardcore Turtles fix. And um, that sounds great. Awesome. I mean, we'd love to be kept up to uh, to date with all this we stuff. We used to, we, are, we got, Heavy Metal has a booth for the last 20 years on, right. on, in San Diego, 1529. We've been there, same spot. you got to come by and see our booth. We're going to have some awesome stuff there as well. We're doing some stuff with DeviantArt. We're doing some stuff with War of the Worlds. We're doing some awesome stuff. There'll be new turtle stuff there. Um, lots of, it's Heavy Metal's 35th anniversary this year. You gotta come by. It's there awesome. might be hot girls in the booth. Just saying. <laughs> just saying. Or, or be in a bikini, which, no, you don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. I shower in the yeah, dark. The, yeah, yeah, I just gave him a copy of Super Action Man, and the funny thing is, I do dress as Super Action Man. In <laughs> <laughs> San Diego. Yeah. Maybe I won't come around your booth. <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman, it like scares him. He's oh, always, I love Lloyd. Trump was always a crossroads. It scares the shit out of him. Uh, <laughs> um... All right, guys, that's our episode. I think you guys have got a ton of things to talk about. Of course, if you want to keep talking about it, geekscape.net. If you guys want to shoot me an email, it's jonathan at geekscape.net. And, of course, on Twitter, I'm at Jonathan Leonard. Are you doing the Twitter and all that stuff, Kevin? Uh, no. Oh, fuck it. Uh, Facebook. Facebook. Hey. Search for Kevin Eastman. Search for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Definitely search for Heavy Metal Magazine, all right, because that's the thing he owns. Heavymetal.com, Kevin Eastman's studios.com. I'm, I'm out there enough. I have to, I'd rather be drawing than tweeting anyway. <laughs> he moves to Florida where we're never going to hear from him again. <laughs> I'm going to lay there and, it, we're gonna and see get, you on, get like, really, really fat people. and just tweet from a hammock. <laughs> we're going to see you on gator people. <laughs> yes, yeah, we're going to swamp boat. Uh, all right, guys. All right. We'll see you guys on the next Geekscape.